opening words of this week's parsha is Vayoymer Hashem El Moshe Boy El Pharaoh. God tells Moses, "Come to Pharaoh." Comes the question to mind: Why does it say here, "Come to Pharaoh"? In other places, it says, "Lech, go to Pharaoh." Furthermore, in most places it says, go to Pharaoh and say the following. Here, it does not say you should say the following. It simply says, go or come. Boy, El Paro. To understand this on five levels, first and foremost, the difference between the word boy, come to Pharaoh, and lech, Go to Pharaoh, says the Balaturim, and this seems to be the approach of Rashi as well, that when God tells Moses to go to a temporary location, like when Pharaoh was on the Nile, every morning he would go to the water to release himself. Pharaoh said he was a king or a god, a deity. He did not have to ever relieve himself. He got up very early before his servants got up. He went to the Nile for a walk. He did what he had to do. He came back. God says, there is where you shall go to Pharaoh and meet him. <laughs> so that's a temporary place. Lech, go there to Pharaoh. But here, Pharaoh is in the palace. He's in his private chambers. That is, boy, come. Come into the private, permanent place of Pharaoh. So that is the the pshat, the simple interpretation between come to Pharaoh or go to Pharaoh. What is the remnant? What is the hint? There's a question that the Torah is eternal. Even after Mashiach comes, we're going to still learn the five books of Moses. It's never going to change. If that is the case, what is the message of come to Pharaoh? Pharaoh represents the powers of impurity. He has to crush Pharaoh. Yet when Mashiach will come, it says, Vesruach, Atuma, Avim, and Ares, spirit of impurity, will be removed from the face of this earth. There will be no more death, no more starvation, no more envy. On the contrary, those who lie in the dust will rise and sing the resurrection of the dead. If that is the case. What is the message here of come to Pharaoh? We find in the Zoyar, the Zoyar explains that Paroi, Pharaoh, in his original state, in his origin, in his shoresh, represents the level of power means to reveal, to unleash infinite powers of light and energy. And so when Mashiach will come, we are going to see the positive part of Pharaoh. We're going to have the ability to access all of these powerful lights. That is why, in truth, Moshe Rabbeinu was afraid to go to Pharaoh, as we shall soon see. And God must tell him, come, come with me together to Pharaoh. Not only was Moses afraid of the physical Pharaoh, but even these lights, which were infinite levels of holiness and spirituality and godliness, this is also beyond the ability for a human person to comprehend and to access. And this is hinted in the fact that God, that Pharaoh tells Moses in this parsha of Boy that Moses, I don't want to see your face ever again. If I do see your face, you shall die. Spiritually, 
alluding to this overwhelming power of energy, that if the human being will access this energy, it's like an atom bomb, and, and it's too, too powerful, too overwhelming to internalize. And that is the light that we're going to experience when Mashiach comes on a day-to-day basis. That's the remnant. What is the drush? What is the homiletics? We begin with the words God tells Moses, come to Pharaoh. It doesn't say, and you shall tell him. Why? There are those who say, we take it for granted. We know already after all these plagues, come to Pharaoh and tell him what to do. However, another approach is that in reality, God is not telling Moses to tell Pharaoh anything. This is a separate commandment. Moses now is afraid to come to Pharaoh because God tells him at this time, it's a new parsha. Now I want you to go into the palace. I want you to go into his private chamber. I want you to go to the core of the depth of this impurity, of this darkness, of this evil, of this plague. I want you to go and break him all the way down in the abyss. And Moses now becomes afraid. He says, he is called the big sea monster. How can I go and approach this giant sea monster? Moses was afraid. So God tells him, boy, come with me. I'm there. You're going to come together with me. You're not going alone. I will be together with you to protect. But the question comes to mind as we read further. At this time, God tells Moshe, Pharaoh will not let the people go. I will harden his heart. I have hardened his heart so that they will see the miracles and they will become a laughing stock before the entire world. So we have here a very basic Jewish question. What happened to free choice? It's not fear that, that God is hardening the heart of Pharaoh. One of the principles of, of Judaism and the principles of life is that God gives the human being, humankind, free choice to choose good over evil. And yet we find over here that God is telling Moses, you should know I will not allow Pharaoh to let my people go. And the Rambam answers this question in the laws of Chuba. And the Rambam says very interestingly, that sometimes when a person does a colossal sin and he brings tremendous damage and tragedy and sorrow and hurt to the world, God doesn't let him get away with simply, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that, or I did mean to do that, but I regret it, and get away with it, to get away with murder. No, when you commit such a major atrocity, There has to be a consequence. And you have to suffer. You have to feel that punishment. And therefore, God removes free will. He removes logic. And the person becomes stubborn. And even though his friends, his relatives are telling him, you're out of your mind. Why are you doing this? They can't control themselves. This is part of the punishment, to become crazy and not be logical. And therefore, because of the fact that Pharaoh hurts the Jewish people. To such a degree, God says, I am removing his free choice. The Rebbe 
gives an interesting twist over here. And he says that actually the punishment fits the crime. Because what does Pharaoh say? I don't know who this God is. Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, God of the Jewish people are instructing you, is instructing you to let my people go. He says, I don't know who this God is. Who should I, who am I? To? I'm not listening to him. I, I have my own free will. I can do what I want. I'm not subjected to his commandment. So the punishment is, yes, you are subjected to his commandment. You think you're on your own. You think you can make your own decisions. You think you're on the world. No. God, in reality, runs everything. He allows you to have free choice. But not that you have a free choice. In other words, God is truly in control. So when you come along and say, I can do what I want, God says, no, you can't. I will control you. I will show you that I am the master of the universe. But the beautiful twist over here, an additional insight, and that is ultimately, do we have free choice or don't we have free choice? And here in Tanya, Al-Tareb says a very powerful thing. Listen to this. He says, even when a person commits a terrible crime, a terrible sin, in the course of this, God removes the person's free choice to be logical, to do the right thing. Even then, says the Al-Tareb in Tanya, that a person has free choice. That ultimately, you have the strength to overcome this punishment and actually persist and do the right thing. In other words, generally in life, when you want to do something good, in heaven they assist you. Oh, he wants to give a million dollars for charity. Good, I'm going to make sure he makes a lot of money to give that money. Oh, he wants to pray three times a day and he's busy. I will find the time to give him to pray three times a day. So heaven assists the person when you make a resolution to do something positive. God helps you. And similarly, a person says, I want to change my life. I want to be a better person. I want to do truth. I want to start all over again. You do the right thing. In heaven, they assist you. That is when we talk about a normal person, a normal situation. But then there are times that they won't assist you. You have to do it on your own. But even then, under those circumstances, if you truly are determined and you really want, you have the ability to break through and to accomplish what you want. And the same is true with Pharaoh. Yes, God said, I will harden his heart. But yet, at the end of the day, if Pharaoh truly wanted to do true, and he wanted to change, and he wanted to do God's will, then he would have had the ability to bring an end to all the plagues, to bring an end to all the suffering, and to allow the Jewish people to go. So this is the drush. What is so? What does esoteric say? Moshe Rabbeinu did not want to go to Pharaoh. He was afraid of Pharaoh. But in truth, it didn't start at this plague. It started already earlier when Moses came to the burning bush. And God says, go down to Egypt. And for seven days, Moses has dialogue with God and arguing with God. And he's procrastinating. He doesn't want to go. And finally, he comes up with a response to God. God, I can't go anyway because it's difficult for me to speak. I have a heavy mouth and a heavy tongue. So God says to him, excuse me, 
who gave man the mouth? I can, I can heal you. And at that time, he would have been healed. So what does Kabbalah say? Kabbalah says that spiritually, Moses came from the world of Tohen. He came from the world of chaos, a world of tremendous light and energy without vessels. And that's why he couldn't articulate it in, in words, because he was so overwhelmed with so much light. It's like a person so excited about something, and they can't say what they have to say, because just calm down and then say what you have to say. So Moses is full of this light and energy of knowledge, of inspiration, of godliness, of spirituality, and now to, to actually come down to talk to the average person on a simple level is very challenging for him. And that's why Kvateh, a, a, a difficult mouth, a hard mouth, a heavy mouth represents the oral law, and Vasha represents the written law. When it came to the written law and the oral law, Moses was even beyond that level spiritually, and it was challenging for him to be able to convey this message. And therefore he says, send someone else, send the Mashiach, as the Medjur says, because he's from the world of Tikkun. Why send me? I know I'm not going to go to Israel. Send the ultimate redeemer, the Mashiach. Mashiach comes from the world of Tikkun. Yet God says, what's the problem? I gave man a mouth. In other words, I have the ability to transform you and to bring this light of chaos, this infinite light into finite vessels. So this is the level of Soyid, the level of esoteric. We now go to the fifth level, the level of Chassidus. The question over here is, the entire book, the second book of the Torah, is known as the book of Shemois, but also known as the book of the Exodus. It's called the book of Exodus. But in truth, when did the Exodus actually take place? In which parsha does the Exodus actually take place? It's this parsha. It's not Shemois, not the Eder. It's the parsha of Bor. In this parsha, when God tells Moses, come with me to Pharaoh, in this parsha, we find that actually the Jewish people leave the land of Egypt, the actual Exodus takes place. So there must be an association, a connection with this commandment. Go to Pharaoh and the Geula and the redemption. So what is really taking place over here? What is the commandment of Boyo Pare, come to Pharaoh, have to do with redemption? And not only the past redemption, but also the future redemption. On a literal level, as we mentioned the Zohar earlier, the connection between Bo and the redemption is that God tells Moses, now is the time to go and crush Pharaoh. But to crush Pharaoh, you got to go to Pharaoh in his chamber. You got to go to the core of Pharaoh. And therefore, you got to go chamber within chamber within chamber, within room within room within room to his darkest place, his most mischievous place, his most toxic place. There, I need you to destroy him. Because if you destroy him only on the external level, he still exists. And for that, Moses was afraid. But on a spiritual level, as we explained earlier, according to Kabbalah, according to the Zoya, God was telling 
Moshe, I want you to go to the highest place. I want you to go to Pharaoh. The word Pari means to unleash, to reveal the deepest secrets of the Torah. And therefore go into one chamber, into another chamber, into one room, into another room, into the highest places, to the essence of God. And there I want you to tap into that light. And that is Boyal Pari. Come with me to this high place, the spiritual place. Why is this the introduction to the, re- to the redemption? Because we mustn't forget what the redemption was all about. It wasn't about becoming free to do what you want. On the contrary, when God reveals himself to Moses at the burning bush, what does God say? When you take out the people from Egypt, you're going to bring them to the mountain to serve me there at the mountain. In other words, I am taking them out of slavery to make them my servants so they will serve me, God, through following the 613 commandments on the Torah. What was the revelation of, of Sinai? What took place at Sinai? We explained this many times in the past. Sinai, God came down to the mountain and he begins the introduction of the Ten Commandments. Hashem I am God, your Lord. So there are three levels. There's Anoichi, there's I, then there's God, and then there's your, your Lord. The essence of God is I. Beyond all names, beyond all configurations, beyond all levels. Now, how is it possible for a human being and the entire Jewish nation of slaves, of three million people to stand at Sinai and receive this level of anoichi, of the essence of God in a human finite body and a soul in a body. It's impossible. It's impossible that a human being should be able to become one of the essence of God. So as a prerequisite to allow this to happen, what does God do? God says, we'll start with Moshe. Moshe, you're going to attempt to connect with the essence of Pharaoh, the supernal level of Pharaoh. And even though you're a soul and a body, will come with me together and I will give you the strength to be able to receive this new light and via you, through you, the leader of the Jewish people, you will now disseminate this energy to the rest of the people. For that is the, the purpose of every leader of the Jewish people, for all generations, which are called the the faithful shepherds to administer this faith, to give strength to the Jewish people, to give strength to the nation of Israel, and as we'll soon see, to the rest of the world, to be able to be a keli, a vessel, to receive this infinite light. So it starts with Boyal Pari. Come to Pharaoh. You access now this infinite light, and now you will become the channel for the rest of the Jewish people to give them the strength, and they too will go later to Sinai and become my people by receiving anoichi, by receiving myself, I, into their everyday life. But this redemption of the Jewish people was only the beginning. Going out of Egypt, it's a whole history, 3,300 and some odd years. And finally, at the end of time, we need to once again come back to the ultimate redemption and make the redemption for all eternity. But this time, it's not only for the Jewish people. This time, it's redemption for the entire world. And that's why we went into Gulfs, 
That's why we went into exile to all the nations of the world, to sensitize them and to be the, the messengers, the ambassadors of God to the, to the nations of the world, to teach in the seven Noachites. So when Mashiach will come now, all the nations will come back together to Jerusalem, to Israel, and serve God. And this is also hinted in the parasha. When Moses tells the Jewish people, I want you to go and request from your neighbors gold and silver vessels and the beautiful robes they had that was filled with rubies and all these fancy diamonds, etc., etc. Now the question is, why do they have to request from their neighbors all of these things? They worked there as slaves for their neighbors for 210 years almost. And now it's time to leave. And Egypt is going to be crushed. Take what you want. As we know that Rashi tells us, why did they have to take all of these things with them? Because God told Abraham that your children are going to be slaves. But when they leave Egypt, when they leave slavery, they're going to come out with a chush gadol, with a tremendous wealth. So if the Jews will leave just like that and get out of Egypt without taking the money and gold and silver from the neighbors, Avram will go before God and complain. The first part of the agreement you did. My children were slaves and they suffered. The second part of the agreement you didn't do. So they have to go out. They have to go out with tremendous wealth and treasures. But why must they request it from their neighbors to a degree that it's mentioned three times in the Torah? And then it goes on to say that God put the grace of the Jewish people in the eyes of the Egyptians. The Egyptians found grace and they were fond of the Jewish people. Now we know that there was the ninth plague, the plague of darkness. And at that plague, the Egyptians could not move. They were literally stuck in one place. The Jews at that time could have gone in as they did. As we know, they went into the houses to check out all the merchandise. They could have taken it. Why must they request it? But here too, the Torah is implying that it's not only about the Jewish slaves having their exodus, but it's about impacting and influencing and, and teaching the nations of the world. That they too are part of it. They have to support our, our goal, which is to make the world a dwelling place for God. And together we're going to work. And they will find the charm and the grace of the Jewish people in their eyes. And this is a, a promise and a blessing from the Torah, that if we do our work correctly and we will request of the nations of the world to help us, they will help us. And this is now the ultimate mission. This is now the ultimate frontier. That is not enough that we are doing our mitzvot, that we are doing our mission. But we too now need to go out of our comfort zone, talk to our neighbors nicely and inspire them to do acts of goodness and kindness. And that's why we're living amongst the nations of the world. So this is the, the message of the Pasha of Boy. It's a very solid Pasha, a very deep Pasha. Many interesting mitzvot and details come together in this Pasha. And uh, we just spoke about the first verse of the Pasha, of, of Boy El Pari. Come, come together. Let's go into this world of infinite light and, and glory and holiness. I want to conclude with a story as you know that um, 
my wife and I have the great merit together with about 100 people this past week to be in Israel, um, Yerushalayim, and Sfas, and other holy places like Maro and Tveria, etc., etc. And many beautiful things happened and occurred. I want to share one, one story that happened to me or that I heard of while I was there in Sfat. A young lady came over to me and said, Rabbi Raskin, you should know I've been watching you for the last 10 years. And I want to share my story with you. She went on to say that a number of years ago, she had a terrible car accident. And she was in the hospital. And while she was in the hospital, after this terrible car accident, she had an out-of-body experience. She said, I saw my soul leaving the body. And I was looking down at my body. I saw my feet. I saw my, my entire head. And I felt a tremendous level of warmth and happiness and joy and tranquility. And then, all of a sudden, I was told that one of the angels, like, it's not time yet. You got to go back into the body. I said, no way. I'm very happy here. In the body, I, I feel pain and suffering and anguish and anxiety. I don't want to go back into the body. No, no, no. You have to go back into the body. Boy, come. Come back. Come back into the body. And I felt at that time that God was with me. And he felt like a mother and a father. Like, come. Come, Shane, come, my, my, my child. And at that time, when they were pulling me back into the body, I felt a level of confidence that I never had up until that time. All my life, I never had confidence. But after I came back into the body, I felt this new level, a sense of confidence. And at that time, she said, I met the Lubavitcher. And he was like a, a light, like a candle. He was a spirit. It wasn't in his body. It was a spirit with a flame. And he told me I should learn chapter 32 of Tanya. Chapter 32 is called Lev. The heart of Tanya. It talks about love. That you have to love your fellow person. You have to love your neighbor. And I realized when I came back that this is my mission. To love everybody. To, to tolerate other people. And to see the good in other people. If we, the Jewish people, would unite and love each other, and care about each other, and overlook the faults and imperfections, because you know what? We all have faults and imperfections. When it comes to our faults, nah, it's nothing. When it comes to the other person's faults, oh, it's terrible. You have the same fault. Nah, but I have an excuse for my fault. It wasn't my fault. It was someone else's fault. But that's a real fault. You know what? We all have imperfections, and God made us that way. And that's his fault. <laughs> But the bottom line is that's part of our mission to overlook these faults. And, and by doing that, we have boil pare, we have the ability to come together with God and to see these new lights, these, these new blessings that God has in store for us, that God is going to unleash before our very eyes. So we hope and pray that this should be the last week we learn about boil pare in exile. But we should have the true boil pattern. That God will take us one by one, hand by hand, as it says when Mashiach will come, God will take every Jew by the hand and every person from all the nations of the world and say, Come, let us go to the Shalai Mirakoidish, the third holy temple of the Meda of Amen.